Hi, I'm Blue, and you're listening to the Tomorrow with Rovio podcast. Morning, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Tomorrow with Rovio podcast. I'm your host, Ben Mattis, and today is a really special episode, and I'm I'm just going to stop and pause here and say, if you're listening to this on a podcast player, maybe just this one time, consider visiting our YouTube channel and watching this on YouTube, at least the beginning, because our guest today does something pretty special, and the visuals really are an important part of it. Corey Strasberger is a multi-talented technical artist who has uh, spent years working in film and VFX uh, and video games and is now doing some really cutting edge work in what what we would typically call a sort of virtual production. And he's a one-man army and basically by himself is creating a story and a character and a world called Xanadu with with a character called Blue. And Blue in Xanadu is entirely the creation of Corey. He acts, he performs, he does the voice acting, the set design, the direction, the camera, the whole the whole thing. And it's all just him. Without further ado, please enjoy this interview with Corey Strasberger, his alter ego Blue in the virtual world of Xanadu. And uh, let's dive in. Uh, hi, everyone. <laughs> um, special episode today. I've been looking forward to this one for a long time. Uh, I always start the podcast off with introductions where the guest introduces themselves and says a little bit about you know what they do. In this particular case, uh, we've got two people to be introduced. So, uh, Corey and Blue, please say hello. Yeah. Hey, how's it going, Ben? Thanks for, uh, thanks for having us. And um, I'm going to start with uh, the physical me, which uh, my name is Corey Strasberger. And, uh, you know, I have a background in visual effects for movies and TV. And then that kind of evolved into AR and VR and then VR gaming, which is where I sort of pioneered uh, sort of all this mocap technology to bring our character to life. And, uh, and from that came Blue. And so Blue is... is me and he's sort of my recent creation and uh, my alter ego and so together we're, we're sort of making a, a YouTube show called Xanadu where Blue is attempting to build a his virtual empire sort of DIY style so it's just a kind of a personal project I've watched the episodes um, and I, I, I really struggle and I mentioned this to you on the phone when, when we were talking a couple of weeks ago it's really hard for me to say what I like more is the actual content, like the blue, the world, the personality. Like it's it's a great story. He's a great character. He's compelling. He's rich. He's obviously you know well realized, or the tech behind it, <laughs> because I find that whole process and what you're doing in terms of virtual production to be you know fascinating. And that's you know what we're going to be talking about today. Awesome. Um, so can you talk a little bit more about kind of what blue is is he uh, a vtuber uh, is he a digital twin is he a metahuman is he a digital doppelganger like how do you describe this creation when talking to people about the project that you're working on yeah it's it's a, it's a fun it's always fun to try to describe it and i i feel like it's evolving constantly um but you know in many ways he's he's kind of a bit of all of those things i think he's definitely a vtuber 
um, just just by nature. You know, he was sort of conceived uh, specifically to sort of do his own thing on on YouTube. Um, as far as digital twin goes, I think he's 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 more of like my alter ego, which which is a bit different. I think he's he's very different than I am, even though he's sort of a, a slice of, of who I am and, and then some. Um, and then um, definitely a bit of a metahuman, considering I've I've kind of uh, siphoned a bunch of metahuman DNA to sort of elevate to elevate <laughs> him, make him more human human like and relatable. So um, yeah. Yeah, he's a mix of all three. He's a mix of all and, three. And um, just for everyone who's listening, uh, you know, MetaHuman obviously is a pretty impressive piece of tech that Epic released recently uh, as part of the you know whatever Unreal package of of of, of services and technologies. Um, and Corey did this really wonderful episode with Blue, where Blue basically upgrades himself by stealing the digital DNA of a metahuman and you can sort of see this character becoming more realized and lifelike and sort of higher quality like almost in like pseudo real time while the the digital metahuman DNA is transfused into this character that Corey has created and um, we'll find ways to link to obviously Corey the um, the Xanadu uh, YouTube series and so people who are listening or watching this can check it out because that's a fantastic episode You've been wearing that suit for a bunch of time. Um, you're probably starting to get a little sort of claustrophobic or something. Let's say goodbye to Blue. Let's uh, switch into the pure Corey part of the interview, um, and uh, we'll we'll continue on in a few moments. Yeah, yeah, sounds good. There it is, <laughs> and welcome back. <laughs> so that was awesome. Let's get into some of the nitty gritty. Um, I've got a section here about tech. Uh, and again, you can get as geeky as you want. Can you go over some of the tech behind Blue and Xanadu? Like, I mean, obviously you wore a bunch of hardware. You had a suit there. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that. You had a head rig. You've got an iPhone there. I don't know what software you're using on the iPhone. Clearly you're using Unreal. What are all the different sort of tools, the major tools that are part of that stack? Yep. Um, let's see. So I, I think like at the core of it all is definitely the Unreal Engine. That, in a sense, is the host. It's the the capture device. It's the the editing device. It's the thing that essentially does the majority of all of this stuff. And so from there, uh, on the sort of the motion capture side, I have an XN suit, which is basically like a, an inertial-based uh, motion capture suit. And it's awesome for me because... Normally, you need like a huge stage with all these motion capture cameras. And this type of a technology allows me to do really high quality motion, body motion capture in a very sp small space. I don't need any cameras, mm -hmm. all sort of localized. And so that, that was a key factor for, for kind of doing this stuff out of the house. And then I also have these really cool Manus gloves. They're basically um, a company named Manus makes motion capture gloves. And so they tie right into the XN system. Oh, that's cool. So you for, capture all your finger movement as well. Yep, yep. The, the XN does the hands and then the, the fingers all come from the Manus uh, data. And then for the face capture, I'm actually using an iPhone and it's the, the AR kit technology, which is essentially the same stuff that they're using for the Memojis that everybody's mm -hmm. kind of familiar with. So same, same, same technology workflow and everything. 
Uh, and so that stuff I'm kind of piping in to animate Blue's face um, based on my capture motion. Was, or my was that a custom custom development you did, or like are you using an off the shelf app there? Or? Uh, now I'm using an off the shelf app uh, that that Epic makes. Uh, okay. In the early days when I was just trying to figure this stuff out, it was right when the, the first iPhone came out with the depth sensor, the iPhone 10. Mm-hmm. I knew that they that this technology was going to be in it, and so in those early days, I kind of had to write my own th- app essentially in order to to capture the data to see if it was actually going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, but since then, Epic's kind of written their own thing, and it's passed all the cool features and stuff that that my app didn't have. So okay, I'm okay. using theirs. Awesome. And so then um, you've got this various hardware stuff. Um, you, you've got Unreal running. When you're performing, you're seeing Blue inside Unreal, inside a set. Is that right? Like you see him inside a virtual space while you're performing in pseudo real time. Is that right? Uh, I could, but in my case, uh, I am. I just kind of have Blue in an empty in an empty area stage. Okay. Um, if I was doing this with, with other people or I was kind of directing other people, I would definitely sort of have some pseudo version of the environment in there. But my right. case, um, A, I can't look at it while I'm capturing because I'm kind of doing the performance. And B, yeah. I spatially have a sense of where everything is right. in the ship or with whatever right. I'm doing. Um, so it's, it's just not necessary. And it kind of allows me to just simplify okay. um, on a performance level. Okay, that makes sense. So you've got your like, character animation stuff and you've got your world stuff and then you're sort of like integrating that at a certain point in time and taking blue and dropping them into the set and rendering that out and then it's kind of standard video you're layering audio and effects and that kind of thing in in some sort of whatever i don't know what you're using iMovie <laughs> and then uh and then you publish and you're good to go right that's basically the flow yeah yeah that's, mm-hmm. basically, that's awesome yeah. okay and so in one of your recent episodes, you know, we were talking about it in the introduction, we were talking about the metahuman and, you know, that, that episode was amazing. Can you talk a little bit about sort of your life before and after metahuman as a piece of technology? I mean, and, and I guess maybe a little bit less about, you know, how you played with that from a narrative point of view in your, in your world, but just in terms of um, like the tech itself and like what that's done for you in your process. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I, uh, unbeknownst to me, I think it, it's played a critical role in, in this whole story evolving. Um, and mainly because there's, you know, you, everyone sort of knows or, or knows unsubconsciously of the uncanny valley, right? With like yeah. virtual or virtual characters that look unnatural for some reason. They just yeah. don't look real. And blue, I was trying to avoid the uncanny valley with blue in the early design days, but it just, just didn't happen that way. I just kind of fell in love with him as a character and I was like, all right, I'm just going to try to figure this out. Um, and, and because the, in a sense, the iPhone face capture technology is a bit lo-fi. Yeah. Uh, I was worried about his relatability to the audience, you know, like, is he going to be real enough? Is he going to be so in the uncanny Valley that people are just going to, even if he's funny or cool or the stories there, people are just going to have this, you know, this internal reaction towards looking at him and being strange. Uh, and you know, I, on my own, I got the, I got blue looking where I thought he was pretty good. Like I was like, yeah, I, I think, I think he's, he's good enough for people to relate to. And right as I was getting ready to start pumping out episodes, the metahumans dropped and I, my, my head exploded. I was like, oh my God, this is just, <laughs> you know, this is my dream come true. And, 
And so I, I wasn't going to initially utilize that right at first. I'm like, I got to get my episodes going, but I just couldn't resist. Right. So mm. I dug in and I did a, this, the first pass of sort of extracting what I could out of the, the metahumans, put it into to blue. And man, I, it, that's when I realized I'm like, you know, it got him truly, I think up to this, 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 uh, threshold or it elevated him, it for elevated sure, yeah. him. And I think in a critical way, I think he got just good enough. Thanks to that metahuman the little bit that I got to where it wasn't going to be uh, an issue for people. People weren't going to get hung up on it, on how he looked. So in a way, I'm, I'm super grateful for that because I, I feel like the old version of blue, the non-metahuman blue, wouldn't have, it just wouldn't have hit that mark. It just would have created an unspoken and unknown sort of oddity mm. with the character. And, and I think he could still be way better, but I, you know, sure. there's a critical inflection point, I guess. So you've, you've been, you think, thanks to MetaHuman, you helped bridge the uncanny valley a little bit, and you're sort of on the way, on the way out of that valley. That's, that's, <laughs> that's sort of my thought, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's funny because... Uh, He's very compelling. <laughs> he, he has, he, it's a funny thing because where he falls short, um, other things seem to compensate for that in some way. Yeah. And so it's, I appreciate all these things that have kind of harmonized to make him feel that way. And a lot of it has to do with not even his face, like the body, the, the resolution of the accent suit, the body right. data, the arm gestures, the, the, the camera works. Like I'm always hiding stuff, you know, or right. trying to come from a good angle. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Well, so we were talking earlier about multiple performers and role play, sandbox, Pablo deck, all that sort of stuff. And you've just started to talk a little bit about limitations of the technology and the, the level of sort of whatever quality of realize uh, of, of, you know, how, how good the accent suits is able to capture and that kind of thing. Can we talk at all? Is it an interesting conversation at all to talk about like the road to real time? Like what kind of stuff would have to happen for, you know, I get in my holodeck room. That's kind of like something akin to what you've got there. You get in your holodeck room. I've got my, let's call them red. You've got blue and, you know, we're basically, role-playing in real time and people can be watching it in real time, that it's good enough that they can get engaged and watch it. So let's say something close to the quality bar of what you're currently putting out. You know, are we, are we years away from that? Like what, what kind of, what's sort of missing to get there, do you think? Yeah. I mean, surprisingly, all the tech to get there right now is there. Like it could be done right now. I think the, for the most part, the real time aspect of the quality level of rendering, like what, what you're seeing on YouTube from, from Xanadu, I could essentially stream live that level of quality. So that gets, that's a, a huge component, right? The, the face capture stuff I'm using all happens in real time. So that's, that's covered. I think, um, one of the components that for me personally with my setup, that's sort of holding me back. Uh, and this is more of a choice, aesthetic choice is the, you know, the XN suit has two versions of it in a sense. The live data that you capture with the XN suit okay, cool. is good, but it has, you know, there's issues that crop up depending on what you're doing physically. Um, and it's, it's all stuff that, that is inherent in all sort of inertial based suits yeah. because you, it just doesn't know where you are in space. Yeah. So, and then, and then they have this really magical thing. You hit a button and then it basically, f- takes all cleans the that up. cleans all that stuff up and you get all the subtleties of your real performance. And, and that's what I want for blue because 
it's just a more reality based mm-hmm. um, kind of storyline, and I don't want to break that if I can help it. Um, so the, my only option really there it, today is to kind of go into an optic. If I had an optical a motion capture setup, I could potentially get that high level quality live, but that's not really an option right now because right. I just don't don't have the physical space, and it's really expensive, and it, yeah. and it generally takes you know a, it's a more complicated yeah. thing to yeah. do. I've I've worked with optical mocap on quite a few projects in the past, and that's that's not really something you solo. Yeah, yeah, I, I would not. It's not for the faint of heart. Uh, I'm, I'm not. I wouldn't be excited about that. So you know, there, I think I think it won't be too long before uh, XNs is able to sort of get that, that processing to happen in real time, right? Real That's time. just a matter of, of, of processing cycles and dialing in algorithms. And, and, and with all the machine learning and things, I feel like there, there's ways to sort of bridge that gap between those two qualities. And I'll then put, put my order in now. <laughs> uh, believe me, I'm, I'm counting the days. Uh, and then really the only other component is, is sort of the, the networking, right? So if you're in your suit and you're playing red and I'm playing blue, somehow those things have to sort of stream into the same box. Epic's been building a lot of stuff to be able to do that. There's a lot of other companies that I know of that are building uh, those tools or have built those tools and are, are evolving those tools. So that's kind of already here and now, I think. And what is that called? Like, is that a virtual production playground, a digital set? Is that a game environment? Like, what do we, that last part where, where two different performers are sort of streaming into a singular space, what's that thing called? Uh, your guess is as good as mine. I, I, don't, right. I, th- I don't think it has a name yet that I'm aware of where, where people sort of agree upon. And, you know, that, that notion of streaming multiple sort of virtual things together in the same space has various permutations, right? Whether if you're a filmmaker on a set, you're exploring a set with other filmmakers, like in Lion King, for example, they were in, in that Lion King world and people could be chiming in from anywhere and they're sort mm-hmm. of in that shared space. That's same technology in a way, but a little bit different than like if you and I were actually in the same space uh, yeah. and recording stuff. So there's, there's variations where we would want to be able to record that stuff, our motion capture data. And so that tool set is a little bit different than just sort of like, you know, visiting a, a set or doing yep. cinematography or things yeah. like that. Um, but I, I mean, I'm, when that day comes and it sounds like it, you know, is maybe not too, too, too far away where you have these sort of real time networked performances of virtual beings inside a single virtual space, that'll be a very exciting thing to be a fly on the wall or in your case, maybe a participant in. So I'm looking forward to seeing what sort of collabs Blue gets himself, uh, gets himself lined up with in, in the, coming, uh, the coming years. Yeah, um, one thing I'll just say real quick, Ben, is um, for me, the, the holy grail of all of this stuff, and, that, and this is the thing I feel like is the furthest away, is being able to do what I'm doing in, uh, in virtual reality. So like I get to experience blues adventures by kind of acting them out and playing them out and then watching it afterwards. But Mm -hmm. if I could have a VR headset on and be capturing my face Face, at the same time and be in Xanadu and have you doing the same thing in that space, that is amazing. Cause then I'm, I'm, I'm living, like we talked yeah. earlier about really being in the playground. That's when yeah. you're truly in the playground, you're, you're looking around, you make everything in the ship interactive. You could just sit there and, and just F around with your, your yeah. friends 
and it would be the time of your life. Um, yeah. But that's the and, hard part is how do you capture your face with the yeah the yeah and and the what do they call it the the pass through right because your your camera has to be able to see the environment as well and and have whatever it is lidar something awareness of how far the wall is so that you don't accidentally walk into the wall where you're performing inside of this uh, yeah in, inside of this digital playground. But that I, I mean that technology in pieces exists. Obviously, there's something that can scan your face. Obviously, there's something that can project into your eyes. Obviously, there's LiDAR that has, you know, whatever physical proximity and awareness. Obviously, there's pass-through tech inside of VR goggles. So, you know, I don't know of anyone yet who's built the VR helmet. That is all of those things all in one. But, you know, if the market was there, theoretically, it sounds like the tech is not years and years and years away, right? We could get there. And then that would be amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. But I guess that sort of leads to my my next question, which is the sort of like, like how democratized this could ever get, right? Like for me to play in Xanadu sounds like it's years of technical experience, which obviously, you know, whatever Epic and Unreal are working to sort of reduce that to a certain extent. But still, you know, not everyone knows how to work their way through Unreal and that kind of thing. And a, quite a, a hardware investment, the suit, the gloves, the helmet or the camera, or the rig or, you know, whatnot, not, you know, the stuff scanning your face and that kind of thing. So there is quite an investment before anyone could participate in this world. Um, do you think that kind of stuff is going to get more mass market and there'll be more and more people who sort of get in their suits, put on their helmets and participate in these worlds? Um, I definitely think people will want to participate in the world. Uh, I doubt people are going to want to put on the suit and the helmet. I mean, I have friends that are doing VTubing right now that have the suits and they opt not to put them on just because there's just friction involved. Uh, mm-hmm. they, they do like lower fi stuff that's easier. You know, I guess if, if you're, if you're really trying to achieve the highest quality possible, you'll put on the suit. But in general, the mass amount of people are, are, they'll have, they'll have almost as much fun just kind of doing the sort of the wonky version. But I think the thing that will sort of begin to bridge that is the evolution of what I'm seeing happening right now with motion capture is Mm -hmm. it's only a matter of short time before it, you, you don't have to put on the suit and it, you can literally just do face and body capture with like a webcam or two, right. you know, you throw them out there, You're you don't right. have to worry about anything else. And, and more than just sort of the core tech, I think mach- the machine learning stuff that's happening is really going to be the, the bridge there, right? Because the human body is, the mechanics of a human body are very basic for the mm-hmm. most part. And uh, if you train sort of a, a, an AI it's going to be able to sort of know your style, know your mannerisms. And, and if you have a lo-fi system, a couple of webcams that are doing the bulk of the work, if stuff gets included or things kind of like it doesn't get the data it needs, the AI is going to go, oh, I know. Yeah, I know what this is prediction is going like. to be really accurate. And yeah, so yeah. you're pretty much able to uh, sort of bridge those quality gaps. Uh, and, and in That's some ways... Cool. You could probably turn on some knobs and say, I just want to be cooler. I want to move cooler. And so yeah. whatever yeah. you do, you come out looking better in your virtual character. And so just, just make me look like Captain America. It's not hard. Just yeah. just I want I just superhero me a little bit, please. Yeah, like like with blue, I my 
posture is terrible and you can see it in blue to a certain degree. So I would like, okay, I want my character to have a good posture. I'd, I'd like to have a good posture in reality. <laughs> now that you're saying that, you're making me want to sit up <laughs> My virtual character, I know, me too. I'm like, Here we are slouched over. <laughs> <laughs> totally. It, there's something really interesting though that you said that also <clears throat> jumps out at me is that there's probably always going to be tech for performers versus tech for participants, right? Like I might as a sort of watcher or as a participant, not care about the subtle details of my lip curl and whether or not every sort of curl of my hair is properly rendered inside the virtual space and that kind of thing. So yeah, for me, it's a couple of webcams, maybe it's some goggles or some glasses and that kind of thing. And boom, you know, here I am. I'm, I'm, I'm engaging in this space, but I am not a, uh, I'm not the star. I'm an extra, right? But then, you know, you will have performers, the people who are whatever, the content creators, whether they're the streamers or the YouTubers or the actors or the performers, whatever you want to call them, they will likely want the quality of their performance, the quality of their presence inside these worlds to reach higher levels of realization. So they're going to invest the time and energy in whatever is the cutting edge, right? Right now it's Xsense and iPhone 12s and, you know, in five years, who knows what it'll be, but it won't necessarily just be a couple of webcams, right? They'll probably invest in, in that higher quality. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, that's what's going to be sort of the, the transition, right? Absolutely. It's like for the next several years easily, that's, that's, you know, the people that care the most about are, are going to, you know, go through whatever it takes. Like for yeah. me, I, I, it was annoying at first, but now I've just, it's just a part of my process, you know, yeah. I do yeah. it and there's no way I would do it any other way. Well, I guess maybe one more tech question, then we can kind of start talking about some of the kind of even more far-fetched future stuff. Although, again, we've covered on some of that already. You know, you do a lot. Like, obviously, there's mocap. So I'm like, if we're talking like a AAA game production, like you would have mocap animators, you'd have uh, mocap supervisors, you'd have, you know, VO, so you'd have sound designers, you'd have probably voice specialized sound designers who specialize in sort of managing um, how scripts are written and how they're processed and how we kind of structure all the voice for recording with the talent in the booth and that kind of thing. Skinning and rigging, you know, to make sure that the the, the model moves properly and that the animators can actually make it look good. Uh, you know, whatever, animating, sequencing, coding, like whatever, like the list goes on and on and on. So again, usually to make a game, to make a virtual experience, it's a team. In your particular case, it's you and Unreal. So if you had to choose a single thing that change like inside of unreal like so saying unreal is the thing is is maybe a little bit broader is there a specific thing inside unreal is it the blueprint editor or is it the sequencer or is it is there something about unreal that was like a huge game changer for you in the last few years that unlocked this ability for an individual like you to kind of do so much um, that's going to be, that's going to be tough to get it down to one. I, I, I'll just do a couple quick, um, highlight ones because I, I feel like there's two things for specifically for what I'm drawn to do, like the, the high level visual quality of, of Xanadu and also all, obviously all the performance components. But I think on, on the rendering side, there's like three things that converged right around the same time that got that took you out of that game render quality and put you sort of more in the cinematic level of, of rendering in yeah. real time. One is the depth of field, like the cinematic depth of field that we're all familiar with, uh, yeah. with, with cinematic cameras, the real time ray tracing stuff that came around crazy calculations happening in real time for 
you know, most people associate that with like reflections and things. But for mm-hmm. me, the, the ray traced shadows are, are so dramatic uh, to, to the style of lighting and, and look that I like. And it gives you that realistic kind of like area, soft area mm-hmm. lighting with great shadows. And then um, the environmental atmosphere, right? They, yeah. We've always seen fog in games and stuff, but they created it, this, this environmental lighting where if I have an area light and, and you shine it into a semi-foggy or just atmospheric space, those particles are going to light up and give you this really soft quality. Mm. And most people don't realize, but even like in Pixar movies, we love that sort of Pixar look. There's a lot of subtle atmosphere that softens the, the shadows and things. and so. Those things coming together really elevated the visual side. And then on the production side, I think um, being able to record mocap right into the engine uh, using sequencer, absolutely um, probably number one. And then sequencer in general, like that's the gold nugget for me because it's a, it's a timeline. It's like, um, it's, it's where everything happens. It's it's your editor, you capture onto it. You can put audio, you can put uh, your, your character performances, you can animate things, you can turn stuff on and off. Like, the whole story sort of unfolds uh, on the timeline. And that, that wasn't something that was sort of innately designed from, for gaming, even though that's not entirely true. I mean, we, in our game, we use them extensively. But yeah, I like think you're doing a cinematic or something like that. Yeah, you're doing a cinematic yeah. or for, I mean, we were using them on a crazy level for actual gameplay because it just okay. became a container. We use them very differently than I think they were intended for. But yeah, that, the sequencer, I think, is the, is the cool. biggest one. Great. Okay. Now, I mean, that's great. You went at exactly the right level of nerdiness for me in terms of tech. <laughs> uh, hopefully people listening to this or, or ideally watching this, right? I mean, this is, this is going to be one that we're, we're really, you know, if you're not watching it, you probably should go to the YouTube uh, uh, version because it's where this is going to shine the most. But hopefully they got a lot out of that sort of tech deep dive as well. Um, and just as we sort of, you know, shift into the, into the, the next phase, I, I, I guess... I want to play off a little bit more what we we're talking about in terms of like the future, right? So, I mean, we, we already started talking about it when talking about the tech, but like, do you have your own metaverse ready player one? Like, do you have your vision of like 10 years from now, what you think interacting with technology and virtual spaces is going to look and feel like for the average, you know, the average participant? Can you do you think about that when you work on what you're doing right now? Or, or is that just like, I'll leave that to the theorists I'm really focused on today? I mean, I can probably, ha- I, I probably have a, like an idea or of a good answer that fits somewhere in between. Um, okay. You know, I, I love obviously the Ready Player One idea of, of the metaverse, you know, this place where we just, we, we become our digital selves and we, we interact in this sort of world and these worlds where there's no rules and and you can sort of defy everything. You can play games. You can consume entertainment and all that. For me, I, I do your I banking. What <laughs> do your banking as a superhero? Yeah, yeah, I might as well, right? I mean, that's it's, you're, you're breaking all the rules uh, in this place, and so I, I don't think anything's off limits. But you know, as I'm creating and doing the stuff I'm doing, I, I get really excited about sort of the creative possibilities of what the metaverse represents. Um, you know, a lot of that's kind of happening with like Roblox or those types of Minecraft games where, mm-hmm. where kids or people of all ages are in there and they're just making cool stuff. They're building games, they're building things. But so for me, kind of pseudo doing it now, the idea of 
hanging out. Like if you and I were, you were red and I'm blue and we're like, dude, let's, let's make up an adventure. Mm-hmm. And we, we spend a week and we build some cool thing that's full of like just unpredictable dynamics, but also fun. And we just go and have that experience, um, you know, or we get together with some friends and we, we make a, a movie, we make a show, we make an episode or something like, and we're doing it almost entirely in this sort of metaverse creative place. That to me thrills me the most, more than just consuming cool stuff or playing games, like creating in that space. Because really, you know, this uh, say the sky's the limit, but that's too limiting of a of a concept nowadays. It's it's like, um, you know, everything is possible, and mm-hmm. so I'm looking forward to sort of that version of the metaverse evolving. And in a way, it's 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 the extension of everything we've been sort of talking about in the immediate. Absolutely, and you can sort of see a clear path to it. So. So I love that. I mean, I am very big on creator-driven virtual spaces. Uh, Roblox, Minecraft, I love them. Core, I love it. Uh, you know, I love all of this stuff. I think this is amazing. And I think there's lots of flavors and variants of these, these, these spaces. Some of them are maybe more focused on avatars. Some of them are maybe more focused on quote-unquote experiences, etc. And I think that's fantastic. And yet, in all of them, the now... The now is more important than the later. Here's what I mean. You know, if you and I jump into a Roblox game and we role play it out, um, you know, we're controlling the camera, we're living the experience, our satisfaction level is going to be, you know, whatever it is, it's going to be high. And afterwards, if we put that out, if we release that as a, as a linear piece of content on YouTube for people to watch, they're not as immersed in it, right? They didn't participate in it. They, they are watching it. They can't control the camera. They see what we see. They hear what we want them to hear, you know, et cetera. As the metaversal experiences become higher and higher quality and, and, you know, whatever, more and more sophisticated and they become less like Roblox and more like Xanadu, right? I mean, you know, assuming that that's a trend that continues. Do you think there is going to be an increased appetite for people afterwards to say, wow, I don't want to just watch what just happened there. Like, I want to somehow inject myself into that experience. It already happened, right? Red and blue already did their thing. But I don't just want to watch this on a two-dimensional plane, you know, on a screen. I want to somehow inject myself in and live that experience. Do you think replay will matter or is real time and the now going to become everything? It's, it's a big question. There's no right or wrong answer, but I, I wonder a lot whether or not the demand of sort of interactivity and replayability is going to increase and whether this demand for sort of that more passive experience is going to just continue regardless of, you know, regardless of what the, how the content is generated. Yeah, man, that is that is definitely a great thought uh, and great question. I think that it'll be interesting to see how how that plays out. In some ways, I feel like it'll be a combination. There's always, at least in my experience, like a, a desire for for the passive experience, the passive entertainment. Right? Yeah, because in a lot of ways, when you're not active, you're absorbing things differently. It's almost like what it's like you're, you're, you're charging your batteries. You're, you're fueling your imagination by seeing somebody else's experience play out. And so in a lot of ways, consciously or subconsciously, it's, it's sort of fueling you and you're just, you know, you're just consuming it. I think that'll always exist in some way. 
And I think a lot of people who would want to be a part of or experience or re-experience something that they're really fascinated by or into might be passive in some other way. And, okay. and this is the thing they choose to sort of engage in and where yeah, somebody okay. might okay. choose to, you know, watch this, but then engage in this. Engage so in that. Yeah. Okay. I feel like, it, you know, it'll, there'll be some vibe right there. Because I got to tell you, watching Xanadu, knowing that it's, it's two steps away from a game, right? It's so close to a game. It's, it's built in a game engine with game engine characters and game engine pipelines and processes. It's so close. There's something about it that makes me want even more to be in that space than, you know, whatever, watching, uh, you know, the most recent Disney Plus show, uh, you know, whatever, watching mm-hmm. the what if. Like the, uh, that, I'm perfectly happy just sitting back being a passive, you know, participant because it's designed for 2D. It's, I, I'm, I've grown up thinking about that in 2D. I don't, I have no equivalent of that in my vernacular as an interactive space. But I've played games that look like Xanadu, right? We've all played games that look like Xanadu. And so for me, it just feels like one little step away from me being able to jump in and take Blue's place or other. And so there's something about that, that when we talk about the future and the metaverse and that kind of thing, that feels interesting to me, where we have these performative experiences inside the metaverse that are also effectively screen recorded, except they're not screen recorded. They're everything recorded. They're input recorded. They're voice recorded. They're performance recorded. And the performers now basically become NPCs. But an NPC with, you know, whatever, a certain amount of AI can, can change, right? So now I'm porting into this world and your performance of Blue is the sort of foundational experience but because there's a certain amount of AI behind that, if I you know push blue over, that's going to branch in a completely new direction. So I feel like you know, ten years from now, whatever it is, I don't know. There's this hybrid form of entertainment that is seeded by creators and initially sort of consumed as linear, non-participatory content, but then also has the possibility of becoming a sort of branching. Um, interactive experience as we think about these assets being built in 3D space and therefore highly interactive and the kind of evolution we're seeing with some of the digital twin kind of AI sort of stuff. Yeah. That would be that would be fun. Uh, ben, I like I like how your mind works. You you <laughs> think about all these really fun derivatives of stuff. And and I love that you actually feel that way right now. Like when you watch Xanadu, you ha- you you make that conscious connection yeah. to its the possibilities there. Yeah. I, that's great to hear. Um, I'm just going to throw a couple quick fun things at you that, that are sort of like transitional things that um, I'm brewing that are, are similarly exciting uh, because Please. it's, you know, on one hand, I've been watching all this, um, you know, all the space tourism that's happening with like Blue Origin and, yeah, and, yeah. and stuff. And obviously that's awesome. Not everyone can afford to, to go on those trips. So I was, I was playing around with this idea of, you know, Blue sort of doing his own sort of uh, space, space tourism for the rest of us. Yes. You know? And it's, it's just like a VR experience and you get to go on Xanadu and Blue will take you up with the biggest windows in space and you can enjoy like this really fun experience. In some ways that could be like a canned thing where you just experience it in VR 
or I could do, it's like a Disney ride. I could, I could literally be a tour guide live Even better. and sort of like, you know, people go through this experience. Yeah. And you're, and that's amazing. You're the, you're the host. You're the, you're, I, I think that's super cool. I, I really feel like, um, having the personality of the performer and, you know, oh, they're authentic and all of that good stuff, but also having them be able to react in real time to either myself as an individual or what's going on as the group. That's what's going to elevate those experiences and make them feel so much more real. If I sneeze and Blue suddenly says tight, boom, immersion times a thousand, right? Yeah. That's just, and, and that's it just takes presence. it to the next level. That's like the presence you've been talking about, right? That's when we, in, in, as far as we're concerned, we're in the same space together and we're interacting together regardless of where we are in the world. And we're sharing this, in this case, a space tourism sort of experience. Yeah. Uh, the, the other component that, that is fairly easy to do at this point is if I was doing my episodes live or, or a live episode, I'd have to make yep. them specific for this. You know, people through the YouTube API or through, you know, I could create a little app that people sort of go through uh, using on their PC, but people could actually come into the ship either invisibly and just kind of poke around while something live is happening. I could give people access to embody a character. And even mm-hmm. if they're just using their joystick, they could fly around in the show and and, you know, I would see them, they would see me, I could talk to them, they could talk to me, it could be, you know, a lot of people, a few people. And so there's this, in the sense of this real time world that's sitting there, it's really easy to start to plug in these other things, which I, I feel like is all about what you're talking about, yeah. this idea yeah. of inter- interaction with connecting uh, people into this, this interactive world. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, all, the, all that stuff, there's a lot of that stuff that's possible right now. It's just a matter of, for me, I was trying to do all these things. I kind of have to figure out the recipe of the show and then I can start to, yeah. you know, yeah. inject some of these fun well, things. Man, I am, I am, I'm rooting for that next level. I, I feel like, uh, I feel like the world is increasingly ready for it. And, uh, I mean, obviously, you know, it's still, you know, it's the early adopters, but I feel like taking that into the beginnings of a multi-user experience and having some of that fun that comes from those real world interactions is just so exciting. I, I, I can't wait to, I can't wait to watch and or participate in that. God, we could spend hours geeking out about that part, but <laughs> let's leave that for a follow up. Uh, I want to close with two questions. Um, they have to do with virtual production in general. Just it's shout outs. I mean, this has been a great episode, I think, in terms of shouting out for like Epic, you know, clearly. Kudos, epic, unreal, awesome, you know, MetaHuman team, you guys are great. Xsense, your suit's awesome. So lots of love for some really, really amazing, um, you know, technology providers. Uh, are there any other really sort of cool um, VTubers slash, you know, whatever, digital human uh, creators that you're following? You, you, you think they're doing some really interesting stuff and or just people doing really, really cool work in virtual production that you think sort of ties into this kind of conversation we've had today that that's relevant, worth we're spending a couple of minutes talking about. You know, for the most part, I, I find myself in a, in a bubble all the time. So <laughs> I can understand I, that. In a lot of ways, I rely on like, you know, other people or friends that are like, dude, check this out, dude, check this out. Cause I just, uh, I rarely get to sort of go out and, and, and explore and, and see what other people are doing. Um, that's not to say there, you know, there's a couple, um, 
friends that are doing some cool stuff. Uh, a friend, Teflon Sega, he's kind of a musician who's building a pretty cool little meta bubble um, with his music. And so I'm, I totally dig where he's going with it. I'm actually going to try to, in my next episode, I'm, I'm going to, I'm plugging him and he doesn't nice. know this, but I'm trying to see if he wants to come on to Xanadu and maybe, nice. maybe make some music for me, but totally dig what he's doing. Um, no, I, I love Code Miko. She's doing the streaming on Twitch, you know, as her virtual character. And she's constantly sort of, you know, leveling up her mocap and stuff. And she's just fun and really, really cool slice of that whole genre. Um, and then there's there's a lot of development happening. I'm I'm sort of surrounded by people who are evolving various aspects of all the virtual production, whether it's the nice. camera stuff, whether it's the metahuman stuff, whether it's the face capture stuff. And so uh, there's, there's too many to sort of name, but it's just fun seeing everybody's perspective on it, what they're doing to try to elevate it. And for me, it's just like, great, 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 great. I'm going to use that. I'm going to use that. Nice. You know? And so there's a, this is a fun future ahead of, of sort of all these, these holes being filled by all these talented people. Very uh, cool. Very cool. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, that's about an hour already. I can't believe the time's gone by that fast. When we set this up a couple of months ago, I guess, is when I first reached out uh, and you agreed to be on the show. Was there anything you thought we were going to talk about that we didn't get a chance to cover today? Is there any element of Xanadu or Blue or virtual production or metaverse that you think you've got something to say uh, about that that we didn't have a chance to already cover? I feel like given the the nature of it all, we kind of touched upon all the right. all the juicy stuff. I mean, some of the things that that are big in my world that we didn't quite talk about are is like how cryptocurrency ties into the metaverse or things like NFTs, which I know is just a generally a big topic uh, on all different fronts for all different reasons. But uh, for me, it's a tech that we didn't talk about that represents a major component to a lot of the the social aspects to all this, um, the core of, of a metaverse, and even sort of like the, you know, a small little art virtual artist community. It's like having some kind of, um, you know, the, or, or cryptocurrency or, or, or smart contracts more specifically represent the ability to sort of grow a, a community in a more structured way that uh, is very, very exciting because... So when can I buy blue coins? <laughs> well, it'd be like a Xana coin, right? A Xana coin. When can I buy a Xana coin? I want to share. <laughs> I don't think that uh, it's, it's completely out of the question. Uh, I'm not quite thinking of coin just yet, but uh, definitely have some fun NFT plans and definitely I'm kind of brewing a bit of an artist community, that a virtual artist community that we might have just, you know, some slivers of that, of the tech uh, the smart contract tech, just to kind of, you know, Hey, we're all sort of in this space together. Here's, here's your spot. Here's my spot. And we, we own this spot and we're, you know, we could potentially grow this, um, based on this technology. So it's fun because it takes away a lot of the, you know, in, in the past, you'd have to get lawyer. If you wanted to do something on a business level, you'd need lawyers and you need all these things, but with smart contracts, like you could keep it simple theoretically and you can kind of just you know here's here's the structure it's very basic you come on you, you or not and so as artists trying to create all the time you don't have to get bogged down you could grow it without having to 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 get bogged down with with things so that's very exciting and not to mention you know with nfts and xanadu they they have functions so people who 
have them or, or they could evolve and, and, and give people access to the show. You know, if you, if you want to try to like do things for super fans or, or, you know, it's just a great mechanism for being able to interact with people. So Absolutely. that's all very exciting stuff that I think is going to play a big role more and more as the metaverse sort of becomes. Yeah. I, well, I didn't know that you were so thoughtful about how the art and the business intersect. I've had lots of really interesting conversations about sort of decentralized slash blockchain slash crypto tech in general on this podcast. We had an episode with Ryan Gill already that's already launched, and, and that was a really eye-opening one. We have another great one coming up. It'll likely launch before this episode launches with Pierce Kicks, who's, you know, he's, he's quite, you know, deep into the, into the crypto space. And he has a lot of really interesting stuff to say. And one of my earlier guests, Blake Robbins, who, uh, you know, works on a, a podcast called, um, the creator economy and his host, his co-host, um, a guy named Reed is, 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 is the manager of Mr. Beast, right? So they're like super plugged into the kind of like whole creator economic space. They've gone super deep. Well, at least, you know, Blake has gone like super deep into sort of crypto and NFTs and that kind of thing. Um, so uh, it is a world that I am uh, increasingly sort of immersed in. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm very, very interested to hear about it from the point of view of the creator, because lots of other people I've talked to are, you know, coming at it more from the business side of things or the management side of things or the investment side of things. So to hear creators like yourself talk about how you see the uh, sort of like, frankly, the democratization of finance, right? The ability to sort of simplify your, the financial side of your art form is very interesting. And, you know, if people like you are already eyes wide open to the benefits of things like NFTs and, and smart contracts and how they're going to facilitate um, you know, the, the kind of content you're creating, it's sort of hard to take seriously people who just call it a flash, right? Oh, it's just a pause, it's a bubble. It's going to be another, uh, you know, whatever tulip uh, thing. And uh, it's going to completely pop and we're all going to go back to buying gold. When people like you start talking about how you see NFTs and smart contracts as the foundation for the art that you're creating, that's to me a strong sign that, you know, those naysayers are clearly missing something. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, I, I feel like the way the human species is evolving and the way the this sort of virtual version of it all is, is about to to become right. This, this these meta bubbles of metaverse. I think that all this crypto stuff was born out of the necessity of for all that stuff to function like mm -hmm. those things would not really be able to scale without a, a foundation that was way more powerful than our current finance system. So yeah. to me, it's a very obvious thing. Like I'm sure we're struggling with sort of the old and the new, but in terms of the power that this stuff gives us, it's, it's really the building blocks for kind of the metaverse for sure. And even advancing civilization in, in reality. Um, so yeah, yeah, there's always, you know, every digital evolution or revolution, there's there's, there's people who don't quite, uh, aren't able to wrap their head around it. and how some of this stuff, I still can't wrap my head around. It's like, so, uh, it's so crazy and out there. And, um, but yeah, I, I think everyone who sees that it's here to stay knows that it's, it's, it's definitely gonna, gonna stay. It'll evolve and, mm -hmm. and change. But, um, 
I, I, the power of it is just monumental. Yeah, um, it's undeniable. It, it's undeniable. I love the fact that when you speak to a lot of the movers and the shakers, at least when I speak to a lot of the movers and the shakers inside that space, and you ask them what got them started on crypto, they all go back to gold farming in early MMOs. I love that. I just think that's amazing. You know, Ultima Online, World of Warcraft, and RuneScape basically bore, f- <laughs> they gave birth to the crypto movement. <laughs> And you just, I, I never really, I'm not a, a gamer, so I don't really have that, that innate correlation, but you just opened my eyes to how, how some of these people in the crypto world are just so good at it. I'm like, how the hell you guys know what to do? And you just sort of nailed it. It's like, oh, they, they were all they, gold they farmers. They all, they, for a decade in yep. the MMOs. How yeah, funny. And now suddenly it's real gold. That's the difference. Right. Now it's, it's real gold. I used to give my brother, my older brother used to play Warcraft religiously when i first heard he spent real dollars on like yeah. an item i gave him so much shit. I was like, what are you talking about you spent real money are you crazy and he would explain to me all this what, what people were doing and i just i couldn't really wrap my head around it at that point but it's funny to think about now yeah he would be if he was in the crypto space he would he would kill it <laughs> right <Yeah. laughs> maybe it's a uh, time to uh i don't know make some uh, inquiries um, um, I've already asked him about it. <laughs> uh, God, Corey, this was such a great chat. Um, I hope we stay in touch. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing what you do as Blue and Xanadu. Um, I, you know, I, I, I think it's amazing. And um, I'd love to have you back on the podcast maybe in a year and we can touch base and we can see how things evolved and whether any of our predictions began to uh, come true. But Thank you very much for being with me here today. Thanks for sharing your thoughts, your insights. Thanks for taking us through the tech and, and showing off everything that you've created. Um, and, you know, all the best. Really, it's been a huge pleasure. Awesome. Yeah, thanks a lot, Ben. I appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah, we'll definitely get back together. And uh, by then, I should, be, I should have Blue live so we can do a whole episode uh, with just pure Blue. Sounds good. All right, Ben. Take it Bye, easy. Man. See ya. So hopefully your mind is blown. You've, uh, you've, you've seen the video, you've seen Corey, uh, you've seen Blue, you've seen Xanadu, you've heard him talk, you've fallen as deep down that rabbit hole as I have and your, your mind is exploding with the possibilities. I hope you got a real kick out of this episode. It was obviously a lot of fun to record. As always, thank you for listening. I hope you continue to enjoy this podcast. If you do, please don't hesitate to uh, subscribe to it, rate us, send us notes. Uh, you can email me, ben.mattis at rovio.com. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at mook, M-O-O-K. Just love getting feedback about the podcast, the guests, the subjects, the themes, anything along those lines. And again, your feedback means the world. So thanks so much for those of you who have taken the time to reach out and either give suggestions or give feedback or advice or or topics to explore. It's all been really, really important and meaningful to me. So thank you so much. Have a wonderful evening or day, depending on where you are. Thanks for listening and tune in in a couple of weeks for another episode. Have a nice one. Bye.